How many of you can, you can say the word hallelujah? Can you just say that? I wondered about that. In, in uh, the, the circles that I grew up in, you said amen a lot, but for some reason you didn't say hallelujah a lot. And Mel, my sister Melanie's here. Mel, Melanie, um, the church you were married in out in the country, Cold Town, we had a conference there one day. Uh, I remember that some people were coming in from other churches, and all of them that came in looked kind of like us. We all looked kind of alike. And uh, except one guy, he, he, had a, he had his shirt open at the collar, and he had a big medallion that was like either a dove or a cross or something. And he had really kind of neat-looking longer hair. I remember that he had this huge smile on his face, this joyful smile. He was a new convert from the Jesus movement. <laughs> he was, looked different than us. And during the service, if something good happened, he would go, hallelujah. And I would go, oh, I remember sitting back there thinking, I want to say that someday. <laughs> I like that. I just loved hearing that. Something about that just, just stirred my heart when I heard him say, hallelujah, hallelujah. When the kids were singing today, didn't you just want to go, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I did too. You will have more opportunities today to say hallelujah or amen or just sit quietly in reverence and bathe in the truth of God's word. We are in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 10, here's what it says. And then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun and his legs were like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring and when he called out, seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. And then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel, and I, took, I told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take it and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter, and I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Hallelujah. 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 In, in the summertime, I have a hobby. You, 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 I've told you about it. And in, in the wintertime and the fall, my hobby is to go to Christian schools and uh, speak at chapels. Joe, make a note of that. 
Uh, actually, I'm scheduled to, to go to the Christian school, so that's my hobby. In the summertime, my hobby is to go to camps. This summer, I get to go to a camp on an island, island of Patmos, not the island of Patmos, but the Ohio version of the island of Patmos, and I get to speak there, so that'll be fun. This summer, I get to go to Wisconsin to a family camp, and I get to speak in Wisconsin at a family camp. I get to go back to Camp Barakel, where I love to go, and I've gone for like 23 years in a row. And I get to go back to Camp Barakel, and in the fall, I get to go to Camp Barakel for a father-son. Sign up now, fathers and sons. One of the things I really love to do when I'm at camp is speak to the kids and then talk to them, and I can't keep up with them anymore. They're too fast. They're, they're too young. So I have a plan. I, I go down by the lake in the afternoon. And I go down the end of the dock and I put my feet in the water. I just sit at the end of the dock with my feet in the water. And then inevitably somebody will come up and sit down next to me and they'll put their feet in the water. And then they'll open up their little heart and they'll start to tell me about whatever they're going through. Or they'll ask me questions about what I said. And every summer, every week, there's never a week that goes by that some little kid doesn't come, sit down next to me and put their little feet in the water and then say something like this. If God loves me so much, like you said, and he's so very powerful, then why did he let bad things happen to me? It happens every time. I've never been to a camp that somebody didn't say, okay, I want to believe what you're telling me, that God is very loving and that he's very powerful. But there's something that I don't understand. If he's so loving and if he's so powerful, then why are so many things in the world so upside down? Why is there so much brokenness around me in the world? And today I want to tell you that we are at a place in the Bible that gives a beautiful answer to that question. The key to this text, you know, is in verse 7 where where the, where the angel, this powerful, amazing, mighty angel sent from God with all the symbols of divinity upon him, though he's not God, he's sent from God, it says, I promise, I vow to God, there's going to come an end to this when the seventh trumpet sounds, the promises that God made about his kingdom coming to earth are going to happen, and the delay will be over. Now, I just kind of told you the big idea. This passage is one of three passages in Revelation that is a, is a parenthesis, it's an interlude. Do you remember how this works in, in some, from, from chapter eight to, uh, from chapter six to 18, you have, these chapters are describing a period of time that we call the tribulation. And so it's a series of judgments, 21 judgments, and they're broken down in a literary way, seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments. In other words, the the picture that's given is in heaven, a seal is open on a scroll, and when, a seal, when each seal is open, something happens on the earth that's a judgment. And then at the seventh seal, there are seven trumpets, seven angels step forward, and when they sound trumpets, judgments, things happen on the earth, and there are seven judgments that come when the trumpets of the angels are blown. This is the literature of Revelation chapter 6 through 18, how it's arranged. And then there are seven bold judgments. It sounds confusing, but it's really a beautiful literary arrangement. If you pay attention to it, you spend some time on it. It's, it's really actually easier than memorizing box scores and, and Bitcoin and whatever you're interested in. It's just easier than that, even. I tried to understand Bitcoin, and I can't. So 
somebody's going to have to help me. But Revelation, I've been studying that. I've been listening to that. I've been reading that. My goodness. There's some pictures here that are like, I'm not sure I understand that, but I like what I see. And so you have these, now you have, what's interesting is in the sevens, I don't want to lose you, but in the sevens, in the, in the seven seals that are broken, the first four are kind of alike and the last three are a little different and there's an interlude between, that was in chapter seven. And then, in this, and then this, this, after the seal judgments come, what, what judgments? The, the sharp, wow, you got it, the trumpet judgments. And the first four are kind of alike and the last three are a little bit different and in between there's a break and that's where we are now. Now, why is there a break? Because judgments are hard to take. When these judgments are being poured out on the earth, every once in a while, there's a literary device that God uses, that John uses. It's called, it's called alternation. Alternation. In other words, an alternate viewpoint. It's like you, you, you'll see this in a book or you'll see this in a movie. You're seeing it here, and then all of a sudden you see a different scene, alternation. Revelation is full of that, and it, it's a way to relieve the, the intensity of the judgments that are being poured out, God is conscious that reading these judgments is very painful. And, he, and, he's, and, and going through them even more painful. And, and Christians or believers in the tribulation time, uh, tribulation saints, if you will, people that come to know the Lord during the tribulation, they're, uh, they're, the, they're God's concern and he wants to encourage them. He wants to encourage John. He wants to encourage the churches of Asia that the first seven letters are addressed to in Revelation 2 and 3. And he wants to encourage the people of Bethel when they watch the evening news and they're just crushed by what's going on around us. And when they listen to, maybe they get a report from a grandchild that just crushes their heart. He wants to encourage you when that happens. Maybe you get a report from the doctor that just like breaks your heart. It's not what you're planning. You, you had a retirement plan. You had trips planned. You had vacations planned. You had things you wanted to see, grandkids you wanted to visit. And now you're not even sure that you're really going to be able to really sleep through the night or get out of bed. Life comes at you like that. You see things that, that break your heart. God knew that all of us would be living in a, in a fallen world where these kinds of things would happen. And so we have these views that he gives us. Chapter 10, chapter 7 was one of those views. Chapter 10, chapters uh, four and five. If you recall, the throne room of God was one of those views. We, we see this horrifying thing happening on earth, demons pouring out of holes on earth. That was last week. Demons personified as locusts, stinging people, horrifying things, demonic activity on earth. And now, okay, take a break. Wait a minute. Look at heaven. Here's a mighty angel come from God. With a, with a message from God that this thing isn't going to last forever, but that one of these days, that delay is going to be over, and the kingdom of Jesus is going to come to the earth. This is to encourage us. <laughs> that's right. You're, you're catching on. And so that's what we have now. Now what we see in verses 1 through 7 and what we read is you have this vision of a mighty angel. This is an amazing, this might be Michael, this might be Gabriel, maybe a different angel. But this is a powerful, mighty angel who is the, if you were reading chapter 10 ahead, which you should have been, all the smart rats did this. All the good Sunday school children did this. You read chapter 10 ahead of time. And if you didn't, well, I hope you feel terribly guilty right now and that you'll amend your ways and that next week you'll read uh, chapter 11. If you read chapter 10 ahead, one of the things that you should have said is, who is that angel? Because this is a mighty angel. I mean, the, the mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, rainbow over his head, face like the sun, legs like pillars of fire, scroll in his hand. 
His right foot's in the sea and his left foot's on the land. That's kind of incredible. This is a mighty angel. This is, an angel is a messenger from God, always in the Bible. This is a messenger from God. He's calling out with a loud voice, and when he shouts with a loud voice, class, what does it sound like? It sounds like a lion's roar. I was just thinking, what would that, what would that, did you, did you see the movie with Aslan, you know, and, and then there's the roar, and then everybody's like, oh, it shakes the earth, it, it moves your heart. The lion roars. They, well, this is an angel with, this, with, this, with a voice like, okay, so here's what we do know immediately. This is a message from God through an angel for those who are on earth, and it's kind of a big deal. Some have said this is Jesus. I don't think so. Here are five reasons why I don't think it is. The Greek word here for angel is another angel, another of the same kind is the idea. Every other time Jesus appears in Revelation, he's given a distinct title. Here, this angel is not given a distinct title. There are other strong angels who appear in Revelation. This might be one of them. Christ would not swear by himself. This angel in verses 5 and 6 is going to swear that Jesus would not do that. And then fifth, he came down from heaven. And when Jesus comes, chapter 19, his, his over 365 times the Bible talks about, the fact, or, I'm sorry, many more times than that, the Bible talks about the literal physical return of Jesus. And when it's described, it's described in unvarnished, unmistakable, powerful terms. This is not, I, this is not Jesus, I believe. This is a powerful angel, and he's coming with a message. And the message will, if you get it, it will really help you today, or it'll scare the bejabbers out of you, which should he has a shocking appearance. He's staking his claim on everything in the world. He puts a foot in the sea and put on, puts his foot on land. And in the Bible, the sea is often the idea, is often the symbolism in the Bible, in the Old Testament among Jewish people, and in Revelation, often the sea is a symbol of chaos and of, demon, of a realm of demonic uh, work. So it's like he's saying, I'm, I'm staking my claim on earth, in heaven, and in the darkest part of hell. This is a powerful angel. And, and, and notice the symbolism. There's the cloud. A cloud is a symbol of judgment. Remember how to decode symbols. Don't spend all your time in Revelation decoding symbols or you'll get lost in the weeds and you'll miss the big picture. But just for fun, decode symbols by looking in the near context. And sometimes there immediately the symbols are explained in the nearest, right there in the, within the passage. And then sometimes they're within the book. But if they're not within the passage and they're not within the book, look in the Old Testament. Because you've got to understand, the original reader was familiar with the Old Testament. Maybe not the other New Testament books right now, but certainly the Old Testament. And there would have been, there are many allusions to Old Testament, many hundreds of allusions to Old Testament things in Revelation. So if you're frustrated about not understanding Revelation, just stay with it. Keep studying the Bible. Read through the Old Testament a few times. More and more, more pieces will fall into place and the more it does, it, it just never gets old. And it always is very deeply satisfying. And so you have here these symbols. You have this angels come in a cloud, a symbol of judgment. He has a rainbow. That's a symbol of what? What is the rainbow a symbol of? It's the promises of God. Don't let anyone fool you. The rainbow is the symbol of God's promises, according to the Bible. Years ago, our son Daniel, he's a strapping law enforcement officer now. He's a big, strong, handsome dad, and he's a law, I talked to him last night, he's a law enforcement, but when he was born, 
he was sick and I didn't know he was taken immediately to the hospital when he was born he was born and everybody held him but me I just stood back and I let everybody else kind of hold him I thought I'll get my chance and then in the middle of the night he was whisked off actually I was preaching I was interrupted they took him to the hospital put him through a series of things and then he was in an incubator and he was tied down and I was I'm not a worrier but when he was in the hospital and I thought something that mysterious was wrong with him I was I was I had a big lump in my throat I had a fast beating heart I sure remember that I remember looking in that incubator and seeing him tied down in that incubator and thinking man God please let me hold him I didn't get to hold him yet and I walked out of the hospital that night It was in Newark Ohio and my heart was so heavy and I walked out of the hospital I looked up there was a double rainbow in the sky I'll never forget that <laughs> hallelujah double rainbow in the sky a rainbow is a reminder that God makes promises to people and he keeps them a rainbow is a reminder a beautiful rainbow is a reminder you can count on what God said you can build your life on the promises of God this angel is coming in the cloud of judgment but he's got a rainbow around him like the rainbow over the throne of God never forget God is a promise keeping God his face is like the sun and his feet are like fire there's judgment and holiness symbols there the little book is open it's probably the scroll of judgment unfolding it's a huge angel so the scroll probably the same scroll from Revelation 4 and 5 is this book this scroll his right foot and his left foot on earth and in the sea are are symbolic of his sovereignty over the sovereignty of God over all the earth and his authority to speak about that and then he speaks with a loud voice which is like a lion roar and that's the that's symbolic always of authority and the thunder of the voice of God I think the angel roars and God speaks back to him and there's seven thunders I believe things that are coming you know the 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 symbolism of seven in which is throughout revelation over and over and over again is is universally understood as a symbol of completion god is bringing the world to its this story is the story of god bringing the world to its conclusion completion consummation kingdom that's what he's saying and that's the symbolism here now the, the the angel cries out with a cry that's answered by thunder there's a, clearly a message in it the seven thunders are a message how do we know this because that's this is an example of a near decoding what is the thunder you say well keep reading what does it say don't write that down meaning the thunder had a message in it get it the thunder was probably the voice of god speaking and John's like, oh, I'm writing this down. God says, don't tell him that right now. This should remind us that God knows lots of stuff he hasn't told us yet. God has a vast repository of precise knowledge of everything in the future. And he tells us what we need to know, when we need to know it. And why would he do that? It's like, a, it's like James, if you got your beautiful family and you wanted to go on a trip and you wanted to have fun with them and you said, hey, guys, get in the car. And then they would say, where are we going? And then you would just say, trust me, I'm a good dad. Every once in a while, you just want them to trust you, right? I, I used to do that when the kids were little. 
God every once in a while says, hey, hey, everybody, get on the bus. And then we go, where are we going, God? And he says, I'm God, and I told you to get on the bus. How many of you realize God does that all the time? <laughs> might, might as well realize these are the ways of God. People who know and love God, God wants us to trust him, not give us an itinerary, and then we decide whether or not we want to go because we're not all wise like he is. We're not all good like he is. So, so this is like, I'm going to, I know something they don't know. I said something they're not going to have decoded for them. Just don't write that down. That's what he says. So he, the, the angel then in verse 5, he makes a vow to God. It, verse 5, angel whom I saw standing on the sea in the land raised his right hand to heaven, swore by him who lives forever and ever. Who is this? Who is it who lives forever and ever, who never had a beginning, who never had an end, who created the heaven and everything in it and the earth and what's in it and the sea and what's in it? Well, this is only the creator God who's been introduced before, the one on the throne who created everything. And everyone worships him because he created everything. How did the world get here? God created it. This is what really smart people know, that God's word tells us how we got here. God created us, spoke us into existence in six days and rested on the seventh day. That's what the Bible says. If, if I can believe in a virgin birth, I can believe that God spoke the world into existence in, in six days. He makes a, a vow to God, the God who made everything. This remarkable angel from heaven here is making a very, very solemn promise. He's raising his hands and he's swearing before God. So you want to pay attention to what it is he's saying. Verse 6, God is identified here as the creator of everything. Creation is going to be challenged in the end time. That God created everything is going to be a target of Satan's attack on the world. Believe and never doubt that God created everything. When missionaries go to a new field, one of the first things they do is they don't say, do you believe in Jesus? They say, look around at everything that's here who do you think made that? I want to introduce you to the one who made everything. How does the Bible start? In the beginning, God created. To believe the Christian message is to believe in creation. This is really interesting because when I was a, when I was a boy, I was in maybe the eighth grade, and I was in a science class, and uh, uh, our teacher was the, was, the, was the football coach and a very popular guy, and he introduced a theory that I didn't understand at the time uh, had its roots. It's, it's a pr it was a pretty young theory, and the theory that he talked about was what he called the theory of uniformitarianism. And the idea there is that some scientists in the last hundred years or so have had this theory that they began with, and that is the way you observe things now is the way things have always been and the way things will always be. So even though you can't scientifically and empirically reproduce them, that would require something that people can't do. We can guess the way things are going to be because they've always been that way and they're always going to be that way. And so he said that's the theory of uniformitarianism. If you study that, you realize the people who came up with that were people who were skeptics who did not want to believe that God would break into the world in a miraculous way, speak things into existence, work in, in miracles. 
and, that the, and, and this, this has a bearing on what the earth looks like. People say the geology of the earth looks like, well, something happened, how that happened. They're like, oh, this is what happened. This happened over a, a long period of time. The theory of uniformitarianism is, explains the way the earth's layers look and all of that based on over a long period of time. But before that, what scientists and Bible-believing Christians believed is catastrophism that the layers of the earth happen because a great catastrophe. Are you tracking with me? The way the Bible says there's a great worldwide flood that explains a lot of the things that people that have the theory of uniformitarianism, it's an attack on creation. It's an attack on believing in miracles. It's an attack on people believing that God can break into the world. When I was a boy, I had, this is amazing to me because he said that, and I, I had been reading my Bible. I had this big New Schofield reference Bible my parents had given me. It's a big, thick one. And I'd been reading my Bible in 1 Peter. And the passage that I was reading was talking about skeptics, uh, scoffers, coming in the last time, doubting God. And one of the things they say is an outline of the theory of uniformitarianism. You can read it there in 1 Peter yourself. And this is uh, fascinating if you study that. You see, it, it, we probably won't spend more time, but it, I, I think I said First Peter. It's Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Anyway, God is the creator. And the angel is vowing to God, the one on the throne, who never had a beginning, who will never have an end, who is the creator of everything and everyone, everywhere. He's making that really clear. And notice what he says in verse 6. I swear by him who lives forever and created everything that is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea then what is in it, that there, this is the key part, this is a key phrase, that there would be no more delay. Come with me to that summertime dock in the sum in the lake. Put your feet in the water and listen to what God says. One of these days, when the time is right, there will be no more delay, and the kingdom will come, and heaven and earth will be one. And God, Jesus, will come and bring heaven to earth. And all the promises that God made will be fulfilled. Right now, it feels like a long delay. But the angel vows on the behalf of the discouraged saints. One day, an angel says, by God's throne, the creator of God, there will come a time when there will be no more delay. Verse 7, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, this is going to be in chapter 11, the mystery of God will be fulfilled. What he's saying is, to simplify it, the angel is saying, when the seventh trumpet sounds, the kingdom's going to come and the mysteries of God will be fulfilled. The delay, the delay in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in Jesus taking over everything. This, the, that he had announced to his servants, the prophets. This is what the Old Testament prophets told us too. If we read them, you can see that there. Does that make sense? So in, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10, it specifically says what this mystery is, just so that there's no uh, ambiguity about it, just so you're not foggy on this. Let me take a minute and just turn, because, and if you study Ephesians, you see this over and over. You see it, by the way, you see this in, uh, let's see, 1.10, 2.10, 3.10, and 4.10. And just a little memory device. But, but listen to the 110. His plan for the fullness of time, this is in Ephesians 110. His plan, God's plan for the fullness of time is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Get it? Angel says, foot on heaven, foot in earth. Jesus is coming back. We're going to bring this thing together. Jesus is going to be 
over all of it. That's the mystery that people don't understand that's going to happen is God's going to make heaven and earth one, and Jesus is going to rule over that. Whose side are you on? 2.10 is that, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, uh, we could go on. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 10. The question in the hearts of all God's sincere people is this. So Lord, when will your kingdom come? And this happens over and over in the, in the Bible. You see this in Matthew 24. This is what they call the Olivet Discourse, which happened when Jesus' disciples asked him about things to come. What's going to happen? You know, in the end, in 24, Matthew 24, 3, tell us, when will these things be? When will your kingdom come? What will be the sign of your coming? When will be the end of the age? Every kid that went to VBS asked this question. Okay, that sounds good. When is this going to happen? When you have gout in the middle of the night, this is the question you ask. When's this going to be over, Lord? When you have somebody who says something so painful and disappointing to you that you never thought anybody would ever say to you, you go, oh, God. Police officer comes on, goes to a home where mom is a drug abuser, serial drug abusers, two little boys. He goes up and he knows he's got to call service services in and he's going to have to take one of those little boys to a different place and so he gets him in his cruiser and he lets him play with his uh, computer a little bit and he gives him talks to him and he befriends them and then finally he says to one of them hey you got to come with me and the other little boy says where are you taking my brother and he says well i i need to take him somewhere else for a while and he says you can't take my brother you can't take my brother he says, well, does this boy have a coat? Can you, can you get in the mom? Goes back in the house, looks around, comes back. She can't find a coat. In the house, they use the bathtub for a toilet. They don't have food. They don't have the right kind of clothing. The boy's got to go out of that home. But the other boy has a place to go. So the two boys are crying. The police officer closes the door and drives away with the other little boy crying. Don't take my brother. Don't take my brother. Don't take my brother. And the police officer said, when is this going to get fixed? Later on, he sees that mom walking in the cold with that little boy that's left over and she's got a gas can. So he pulls over and he, he says, what are you doing? And she goes, I, I got to go and get some gas in this can the last money that I have. And he says, well, here, let me help you. And he takes her. They were just, they had enough money to put a little bit of gas in the can. He takes her and he fills the can. The little boy says, mom, he's filling it all the way to the top. Hey, mom, look, he's filling it all the way to the top. He says to her, why don't you take that money and buy him something to eat? And I was talking to, to this police officer and he was weeping and saying, sometimes I just think, God, when are you going to make these things right? Now, this is what the believer, this is the believer, this is the world the believer lives in. Like, God, this isn't right. And God says to the angels, go tell them, make a vow on my throne that when the time is right, I'm going to come back, I'm going to make everything right. Trust me. Hallelujah. This is uh, <laughs> chapter 11, verse 15. The seven, when the, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I have to. The seventh angel is going to blow his trumpet, and there will be a loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. <laughs> this John MacArthur put it. It's just, this is, I won't read it to you. It's just good. 
and this is a little hallelujah. You can get your hallelujah ready. I don't want you to go to heaven and not know what you're doing when you get there. There is coming a day, and that day is the time when the seventh angel blows the seventh trumpet, that the great mystery of a supposedly silent God will end, and all the counsels and all the purposes of God concerning men and the world will be consummated, and Christ will come, and the kingdom will be established on the earth, and Satan will be halted and bound in chains and delivered to prison, and with him his demons, and righteousness will rule, and knowledge will fill the earth, and Christ will be king, and God will speak that time the bible tells us the curse on the earth will be lifted the desert will blossom like a rose life will be long enemies will become friends holiness will prevail the last of the mysteries will be revealed sin with all its carnage broken hearts broken friendships broken dreams broken hopes broken marriages broken families broken towns broken cities broken nations will be healed Tears, blood, sweat, sorrow, and death will find their proper place without despair. And all the mockers who said, where is God? The agnostics, the atheists, the unbelievers who scoffed and said, where is his coming? They will be silenced. Those like the Jews at the foot of the cross who sarcastically said, where is your God who will deliver you? Will go stone silent then. And thousands and thousands of years of sin prevailing false teachers and lies and murders and thefts, Christians being maligned and martyred, will all be over. Hallelujah. So what do you do when you see events are growing more severe and the end is coming? The angel says to John something kind of unusual. What does he say to do with the scroll? Hmm. Eat it. And he says, and it'll be sweet and, and it will be bitter. Take this scroll, which is the unfolding plan of God for the future, and consume it. And it will bring you great joy, and it will also break your heart. It'll be sweet, and it'll be sour. It'll be sweet, and it'll be bitter. This is the way it is. Oh, thank God. I get to go to heaven. Oh, God. My neighbors don't know the Lord. Oh, God. People who live in rebellion against God. Oh, that's bitter. Oh, that's bitter. John is told by the voice from heaven, the thunder voice, to eat the book. And he's told to proclaim the book. In verses 10 and 11, he says, I want you to eat it, and I want you to tell it. Proclaim it. Consume it. Talk about it. Digest it. Declare it. What is it? Listen, what do you do when you look around and your heart is broken by the world around you? You eat the book, you digest it, and you declare it. You, you read the word, you talk about it. Daniel, this is what we were doing yesterday morning, right? We just get in the word, we study the word, we talk about the word. And there's something about it, doesn't it? Something about that makes your heart strong, helps you face, helps you face what you're going to face. God is a faithful, God is a faithful God, and he wants us to be faithful heralds of God, saturated with the word of God, speaking as the oracles of God, living for the living God. Is there is there any, and, and ask the question, is there ever any bitter in what you say about God, or is it all just sweets? Sometimes people just go through the Bible and they cherry pick the sweetness, and they never teach the bitter, and that's not complete. It's, it, it's, if it's all sweet, it's incomplete. You can put that on your fridge this week. There should, there's, there's sweet and there's bitter, bitter in it. What do you do when the world is breaking your heart? You take your cruiser, you drive home, you put your kids in bed, you get your Bible, you go in your room, and you go, God, remind me of the things that you said are going to happen in this world. Remind me there's hope for those little boys. Can I send them to Youth Haven this summer? I heard him telling that story, and I thought, man, I got to go out and visit Youth Haven again, and I got to figure out how we can get more kids out to Youth Haven. I talked to a guy in my study the other day. 
he's starting to grow a little bit in the Lord. I said, what made you interested in God? Were your parents Christians? He's like, oh, no, 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 my parents weren't Christians. I, I don't have any Christians in my life. But I kind of want to have a Christian family, he said. I said, well, what, whatever made you want to have a Christian family? And he said, when I was a little kid, they sent me to Youth Haven. And when I was out there, I decided I want to have a Christian family. <laughs> Amen? I thought, man, read the word, consume the word, believe the word, talk the word. This is what the angel told John to do. Take this message, know this message, talk about this message. Isn't that interesting? I, I think it's kind of cool. A lot of times we look at the world and we go, how are we going to stop, stop the flood of evil in our world? Evil people are taking over. How are we, what are we going to do? What, 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 did, what did the angel tell John to do? It was really basically very simple. He's on an island prison, and all he can really do is write it down and make arrangements for this to be taken and sent to the churches. His job was very simple. He was going to have to depend on the miracle-working power of God to empower his simple obedience. And that's what we do. We just do what we do where we are in our own small way, and we trust that we are agents of the living God who sends angels with voices like lions surrounded by rainbows <laughs> on clouds of judgment. <laughs> kind of cool, isn't it? What do we do when we find ourselves in the midst of chaos? We put our roots down in the promises of God. Now I have time left before noon. And so I allow me a sanctified rant about politics, okay? Okay. You go, do we say hallelujah right now? Because, okay, sanctified political rant. And you, so here, here it goes. I wrote this down. Christians, should we talk about politics? You know how you go to the, 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 the barber shop and they go, don't talk about politics. Go to the nail salon. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about religion. I'm going to hell and I don't want you messing with me right now. Right? That's what poor Hope over here, she can't talk out of school too much. She's like, talk, people tell her stuff. They just like unload on her and they say the most vile things to her about God and Jesus and the Bible. And you know, you hear it too, just vile stuff. And she's wrestling with that, like, do I just listen to that? What do I say? What do I do? You know, this happened to you, and you have to be wise. But then they say, don't talk religion. But they can talk what they believe, <laughs> right? And they say, don't talk politics. But man, they, 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 so let's talk about talking about politics just for a little bit. Should Christians talk about politics? Yes, of course. We should be wise about what we say, and we should never expect, listen to what I'm saying, from political power, what only God can do. And through, though human laws can help restrain evil, and human laws have other important roles, and we should care about them, we must have a deep core conviction that we cannot legislate spiritual life into people. Only the gospel and only the power of God can transform people inside out. So the Supreme Court justices do not bring national revival. They never have. They never will. They can't bring repentance to rebel hearts. They can't turn enemies of God into friends of God from the bench at the Supreme Court. They can't make evil men and evil women holy. Legislation and executive orders, you know, one president gets in and he signs a flourish of executive orders, and then four years later, another president a flourish of executive orders, reversing those same executive orders, and everyone scurries home from work and watches the evening news to see who's signing executive orders. 
But executive orders, as important as they are, and how much we do respect that, they can't do what only God can do. So legislation of executive orders may please people, or they may inflame their anger, but they cannot change hearts inside out. Only God, the Holy Spirit, can transform people inside out. So every individual Christian should act justly with regard to all things. And if you're involved in, in, in political office, or if you're involved in law enforcement, or if you're involved in education, you act Christian in, every, in whatever you do. And of course you do. In doing so, if you believe that you can, through political means, do what only God the Holy Spirit can do, that is a dangerous and misguided kind of idolatry. That's not being a good Christian. That's being a misguided Christian, and you're going to frustrate yourself. And so every individual Christian should act justly in regard to all things, but the church must not become a political action committee. In so doing, she'll exchange her God-empowered and God-assigned commission for opposing abortion or opposing same-sex marriage or opposing gender-neutral language or opposing schools without prayer or opposing global warming or opposing unethical mining or opposing unjust minimum wage or unfair working conditions. As well-meaning as these causes may be, they are not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is plainly given to us. And, and so, I, why am I telling you this? Because it would be easy to be discouraged right now when you look around and you think, what a mess. But the angel is, getting, is clearing his voice. And God is preparing to have an angel sound a trumpet that brings his kingdom to the earth. And we should, we should invite people into it as fast as we can. And so as I meditated on this message for hours this week, as I meditated on this passage for hours this week, Something very powerful surfaced in my heart from the last phrase in the text in verse 11. And that's what it says. And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. That's like, huh. It's like talking politics. It's like tell, but it's different. It's not like, here's my president, there's your president, this is my governor, who's your governor? It's like, oh, hey, president, governor, mayor, Congresswoman, congressman, can I tell you who the king of kings is? Can I tell you who the lord of lords is? Can I tell you who the prince of peace is? Can I tell you who you're going to answer to someday? Tell them this story. Consume this book. Digest this book. And then warn the people. Tell the people. Tell the kings and the princes and the politicians and the presidents and the mayors and the congresswomen and the congressmen and the dog catcher. Tell them the garbage collector and tell the teacher, Jesus is the king. Hallelujah! And he's coming to reign. Hallelujah! This is what we do. This is our job. It's much greater. So you must prophesy or proclaim. That's what verse 11 says. Or proclaim with authority the truth that God says. This is what we do. And so even if you're a kid at school and you let them run, let them talk, or you, you know, hope, you're letting them say their thing, every once in a while, ask the Holy Spirit to give you, when is it time for hope to say, well, let me share something with you. Like, and you go back to, I want you to know Jesus really loves you and that you're precious to him and that he died for your sins. And they fire you. And Jesus has to take care of you. Amen? Jesus takes care because he's good at that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hope says that's easy for you to say. <laughs> if I don't talk about Jesus, I get fired. <laughs> for you, you want to be wise about how you do. I understand that. You must prophesy about peoples, languages, kings, presidents, senators, congresspeople, mayors, governors, rulers. Pol that's politics. There's a statement with powerful political import. 
And this is how God wants his people to talk politics. God says to John, eat the book, love the book, consume the book, meditate on my truth. It will be sweet and it will be sour. It will be sweet and it will be bitter. But what it, what it says will be sweet news to those who submit to God and who are redeemed by God. And it will be bitter and sour and sad and tragic and horrifying to those who rebel against God, who resist God, who, who reject God. John was not told. Now, go out there everywhere and work to change human laws. He, he wasn't told that. Uh, he put a lot of faith in political process. He wasn't told that. He wasn't told pass out petitions, support causes, endorse candidates, force God's way on people through every political means you have. That's not what John was told. He was not told, go out there and preach political reform and join a political movement. He was told, go tell the people and the nations and the languages all over the earth, that's missions, tell the, the kings and the Congress people and the presidents and the governors what God says, what God's book says about what's happened and what God's book says about what's going to happen. So should you talk politics? Yes, if that's the way you talk politics, you should. We're not called to proclaim a party platform. We're the church of the living God who sends angels of, on judgment clouds, who speak like lions and roar when God speaks back to them like thunder, who reveal and conceal truth until the time is right. We're the people of the eternal God who made everything, who holds all things in his powerful sovereign hand. We are, we have the book of God that and of the, of the one, the, the, who, the lamb who holds the scroll, which is the title deed to the earth. And we, all, we need to know about what's going to happen on earth and to the nations and presidents and politicians and governors. So it's sweet and it's bitter. And our calling includes a message to politicians and to all who put their hope in the political power and political parties and political personalities and political platforms. The message is this. Jesus is king. Have I made my point? He's, Jesus is king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's the prince of peace. He's the coming world ruler. And when the world comes to an end, everybody's going to get on their knees and go, he is worthy. Hallelujah. So a few years ago, I baptized a, a young woman. She, she didn't want to, she wasn't interested in God. She wasn't interested in things of God. She wasn't interested in Jesus talk, Bible, religious talk. You know, she's just raising her babies, and she's just trying to have a happy marriage, and she had her Instagram account. And then um, she, had a, she had a brother who was kind of a religious fanatic and a sister-in-law. And whenever there was like a family thing, she'd go over there like, oh, no, they're going to talk about Jesus. They're going to talk about the Bible. They're going to pray. They're kind of religious fanatics. And they weren't really, but, you know, they, they loved Jesus. And she said, you know, I kind of didn't like going over there. But then her marriage started to just fall apart, and she didn't know what to do. Somebody said to her, well, her name was Sandy. Sandy, why don't you, um, why don't you we got this movie called Fireproof. Why, why don't you watch this? Why don't you and your husband get this movie Fireproof and watch the movie Fireproof? So you know what she did? She and her husband <laughs> went and got the movie Fireproof, and by the time that movie was over, they were kneeling on their knees, and they were believing in Jesus. <laughs> and then she said, she came to the church and said, I need to get baptized. And I was helping her with her baptism testimony, and she said, you know what? She said, now I can't, I love it when my brother has a birthday party. I love it when my sister-in-law wants me to come over and help her decorate a cake. Because over there, they talk about the Bible all the time. Over there, they talk about Jesus all the time. Everything changed in my life. And on every street corner, in every neighborhood, on every 
street, in every neighborhood in America, there should be a family that eats the word and loves the word and talks the word and shares the word with other people. Let's stand, and I'm going to pray a blessing on you. Young people, thanks for singing today. I'm going to have that in my heart all week. That's just so sweet. And I hope that you get to go to Barakal. They reschedule you, and they get, you get to go in February. Let's pray to that end. You know, I'll tell you this before we go, and it's, um, we, we also had gifts that were given that made it possible for younger children to go to Camp Sela, I think in a couple different waves. So in a year when there's been very little or no, there's been no Awana, there's been no children's ministry, we get to see kids that are going to get to go to some camps. We, we pray, so pr- pray, so trust God for that. Pray for that, uh, that, that, and thank you for whoever was gave such a generous gift so that we could see those kids go to Camp Sela. That's, that's a wonderful thing. I want to thank the advisory council, the deacons, the women and the men in our church that are deacons for taking initiative to, to uh, send that money that way. We appreciate what you do, and we're grateful for you. Now let's, let's go on our way. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, how precious it is, how beautiful, how, how vivid, how shocking, how frightening, how sweet, how wonderful it is to have the word of a living God to interpret what's happening in our world and to help us get our bearings and find our feet and have hope and get air in our lungs and a spring in our step and, and a direction to take. And I pray for anybody that's outside of Christ today that they would come to faith like Sandy did and be saved and be baptized and follow you. I pray your blessing on the Christians that have gathered in your name today. Help them as they go out into the hard places where when they speak of Jesus, it, it may be difficult for them and they may be misunderstood, and they may, even, they may even threaten their job. Give them wisdom and insight about how to do what's right in the right way at the right time. And bless them, I pray, and keep them safe, and help people during this pandemic. Keep them safe, I pray. Deliver them from, from death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless all of you. Have a good day.